This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe financial technology. John W. Thompson, chairman at Microsoft and Alberto Corvo, founding partner at Motive Partners, discuss why our current era of technology, with a focus on simpler but more secure services, is nothing like we've seen before. Hi Alberto, how are you? Hey Paul, how are you? Very good, thank you. We are live from New York. Who do we have today? It's a, it's a great honor to actually introduce here my guest, and if you want to mention who you are. I'm John Thompson. I'm a failed retiree <laughs> who also happens to serve as the chairman of the board at Microsoft. <laughs> As a, as a failed retirement, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's an interesting uh, failure in retiring. Thank you very much for being here. And oh, thank you pleasure. very much for being a member of the advisory board of uh, Motive Partners, of which Motive Labs, which I have the honor to run, is part of. It's a great part of the whole organization, for sure. Oh, thank you. So being a technology geek uh, and uh, being uh, someone that watched you, uh, everything you've done from Symantec and, and everything, it would be a lot of admiration. I would like to hear from you, what do you think the impact of technology has been and where did the sun of technology did not shine as much? To quote Dante, one of our glories in Italy. Well, I think technology has had a profound effect on everyone's lives over the last 30, 40 years for sure. I mean, I've been in the industry for 46 years. And so to watch this evolution has just been amazing. However, if you think about where we are today and what might happen over the course of the next 25 or 30 years. It's clear to me that what will likely happen will be more profound than what's happened over the last 30 because the number of people who are embracing technology, the number of people who are involved in building technology, the number of companies or organizations that recognize that if they don't deploy good technology, then they can't be competitive. Those phenomena are going to drive an embracement of technology far greater than what we've seen over the last 50 years. Yeah, it has been incredible. When I started dabbling in technology like 20 years ago. I mean, look at what's happened in the mobile phone market. This was a market that people had their little Blackberries and they carried it around and they would text and send emails, but now people can't live without a mobile phone. Mm -hmm. And that mobile phone data phenomena has created an unbelievable opportunity for consumer companies, for a number of companies that want to touch their customers in a very meaningful way. And being in a company that really was famous for security, how do you think the threats of this expansion in technology and usage of everybody has his own or her own phone and the data and everything. How do you see that? Well, I've always believed that the weakest link in the technology security domain is the user himself or herself. Because generally, we make mistakes that we didn't think we were going to make. But when somebody spear fishes you or fishes you or sends you an email note that you assume you know who they are, that's a classic example of an individual making a mistake. I had an opportunity to speak to a group of technologists a few weeks ago, and I said to them, the thing that you can do best is spend more time training your people or users as opposed to buying more technology. Now, when I was at Symantec, I no, wanted them course. to buy more technology. <laughs> but the reality is the weak link in the chain right now appears to be the user experience and the way the user acts or doesn't act, quite frankly. 
I guess the simplicity in the user interface and the you know, the incentives in using it the right way, I think haven't been explored as much to drive the user to, quote unquote, do the right thing and do the safe thing. Well, I think I think what's happening, though, is users have an appreciation for the value of protecting their data, but they make mistakes as they go online in a hurry. And one of the things that I think has occurred around this mobile phenomenon is there are as many bad guys looking to do something as there are good guys looking to help you and me. And so the amount of funding that's going into attacks is almost as significant as the amount of investment capital going into early stage security companies, ironically enough. User training is something. What else could be? Well, user training clearly needs to be a perpetual motion, not something that happens infrequently. But I also think we can make the technology simpler and make it more secure. I think we can do a better job rather than rushing to market or rather than worrying about the linkage to the old version as opposed to the new version. There are lots of things that we can do in the tech sector that would make the security experience much, much better than it currently is. That's why there's been so much venture capital money poured into the security technology category over the last three to five years. It's been one of the, if not the single largest investment area for venture capitalists, one of the single largest for sure. As technology becomes more and more pervasive in financial services, obviously this becomes a problem on steroids. The users in the wholesale capital markets side, you can train them more, but then as you go to the more occasional user, then that's where it becomes a problem. And uh, I think uh, our members and the banks we deal with every day are struggling with that. How do you make it convenient enough that people want to use it, but at the same time not completely make it open so that it becomes very vulnerable? Yeah, the user experience with most of the banks these days is go to my ATM or go to a website and transfer funds or whatever. I think the real issue in financial services, at least from my perception, is that many of the core systems in those companies were built 20, 30 years or more ago. They were built on technology platforms that, quite frankly, not only aren't they modern, they're almost obsolete. And so it's time, if anything, for financial services to rethink the infrastructure that they're using to run their IT operations. And that was one of the reasons, candidly, that Motive was such an attractive opportunity for me to get involved in, because I've seen many, many financial services institutions that still run on mainframes, that still run on old sun systems. I mean, come on. It's time to move on, right? Yeah. When I try to see where things are going to go and what's going to happen, I always try to say, okay, forget for a second what's going to change. Try to figure out what's not going to change and then assume the rest is What's roughly. certainly not going to change is the regulatory oversight. And that's the thing that is most scary. And while the current administration would suggest that they want to reduce the regulations on banks, my gosh, what happened in 2007, 2008, and is, is now the right time to do that? And so I think we've got to find the right balance between reducing the regulatory oversight, but ensuring that the public at large doesn't get hurt by some of the things that may go on in some of these banks. Talking about uh, everything that's going on and with this technology, the fact that we all have our phone all the time on and is listening on to us. And so we come to themes of data ownership, data privacy. How do you see that evolving, seeing the regulation that's coming? In Europe, the people are more and more sensitive about it. I think Europe is a different place when it comes to the whole notion of privacy and data security. While there is this big entity called the European Union, it still operates as a bunch of small countries that do their own thing. And so if you look at Italy and Germany, they have a very different view on security than might the UK. 
who has a very different view on security than they might have in Italy. And so I think Europe is, in fact, a bit of an outlier, but they're an outlier that's leading in a time when more and more consumers are saying, gee, what is Google really doing with my data? What is Facebook really doing with my data? How do they interpret what I have done to their benefit or for their value creation? And I think that's the thing that has caused things like GDPR to evolve. And I give the European Union credit for at least taking a stand that's going to force the U.S. government to think about what our regulatory oversight should be to protect consumers in this country. And what about the business opportunities that can be exploited here, motive in helping people that are willing to share their data? Well, that's, that's how the mobile world went nuts. That's how it became what it is today, because as more and more people went online, as more and more apps became available, more and more data got created, more and more demand got created, and more and more data got created. So it's a, an endless loop that as more apps show up, more data gets created. As more data gets created, you and I want more data because we want to do more things. And so it's a, it's a never-ending cycle, quite frankly, and it's a good thing for the tech industry, that's for sure. It's been amazing what happens when you have these things listening into what you say at home, and then you can say something, and then all of a sudden you can order things, and everything is so much easier. But at the same time, you know that there's someone, some very smart machine, a very quick machine, that's listening to you, and that it brings back the themes of security, and it brings back the themes of how do we get people comfortable with that and governments comfortable with that? And uh, what is the big thinking? Well, it's, it's amazing if you were to think about these automated assistants now. I had an assistant, a human being that helped me for, my gosh, 40 years of my life. I don't have an assistant now, but I do have Cortana. And I'll say, hey, Cortana, book a calendar date on January 27th for me to go to X, Y, and Z. And lo and behold, you look up and there it is right there on the calendar. And it's simple things like that that make your life a heck of a lot easier. And for businesses around the world, it will bring down the cost structure, if you will, that they have for many of the jobs that are in those organizations. And so technology is having an even more profound effect than we might have ever imagined. And in terms of cloud, particularly in financial services, of course, the thinking has evolved both from the regulatory perspective and from the banks over the last three years. But how do you see that evolving and what can we do to make sure that it becomes easier and easier? Yeah, I, I think it's inevitable that every organization on the planet is going to use the cloud. The question is what applications or what services do they put in the cloud, a public cloud, versus their own private cloud infrastructure that they might evolve to where it looks more like what Azure or AWS or Google looks like today. At the end of the day, though, every organization, even banks, will in fact be using some components of a public cloud. And I think the real issue for those banks is to be more thoughtful about how they parse the data and segregate the data in such a way that they don't find themselves in compliance problems with respect to those regulations. Uh, if you were to look at some of the largest banks in the world, they spend more money on security than almost any other thing in IT, security and data management. Those are the two big investments that they make. And while compute is important, storage is critical, and security is even more critical than that. And so as they think about their migration to the cloud, the first question they ask is, tell me what your security elements are, and let me see how they map to what our expectations are. 
And if they map well, then we'll do something with you. If they don't map well, then we'll keep doing it the way we've been doing it for the last 50 years, which makes no sense to me. And also, it's a question, having a cloud provider whose business relies on security is probably you know, a better outcome than a business that has a bunch of other things to do, and security is a very important portion. It's clear that the focus that security companies have gives them a bit of an edge compared to a technology conglomerate that happens to have security that's bolted on. And by and large, what many large-scale companies would prefer to do is go to a security specialist because they know if they get in trouble, not only will they have the company to rely on, they know that the company wants very badly to ensure that they are a satisfied customer with the technology. Because if they aren't, then they move to one of the tier two players. And so it's a big, important issue for the security companies, for sure, and big, important issue for the big banks. Absolutely. As we bring this to a close, and we thank you, over all the years that you've been in technology, if there was one thing that really, really surprised you and you would have never thought would have happened? Social media. I just find the pervasiveness of the social media platform, particularly Facebook, to be incredible. I mean, I give Mark and the team just an enormous amount of credit for what they've done, but I never, ever, ever would have thought that social media would be as pervasive as it is and influence as many lives as it has. As a matter of fact, I was an early investor in Facebook and as the company went out, the stock did not do too well, and it dropped from, I think, a launch price of 26 to $28 down to 14 15 $16. The minute it got back up, I got out. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it just shows you that I just could not quite grasp, how can this become that big a deal? I clearly missed that one. Well, thank you very, very much to John Thompson. Really, really grateful. Thank My you. pleasure. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.